You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Help us, Lord. Please open your Bibles to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, good to see you today. Happy long weekend, if that means anything to you. I kind of forgot it was a long weekend, but here we are. So it's good to be together and in the Lord's house. Our sermon title today is this, Essential Wisdom Within Suffering. Essential Wisdom within suffering, essential wisdom within suffering. It's interesting that James, if you've been tracking with us, we started this series in January, and it's been a good ride. This is, by the way, Lord willing, second to last message. So last week we're planning on being the final message. We'll see how that all works out. But James immediately starts this letter with wisdom on suffering. In James 1, verses 2 to 4, he gets right after it, right away. Count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, because the reality of what trials bring, they bring maturity and prepare us for glory. And he immediately begins this letter with wisdom for suffering, and he essentially ends this letter with the same theme today, with wisdom uh, within suffering. I really, I really like James's heart because he's preparing the church for reality. That's a very, very important piece of wisdom in the Christian life. If you and I are going to make it, we have to know what to expect. We've got to be aware of reality. He says over and over again, in one way or another, through this letter, he's like, here's how it's going to go, and here's what you need to know. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He's like, here's what you need to know, and here's again, here's where you're going to go. Why is he doing it? He's preparing them to persevere. James wants his audience, his brothers and sisters, to make it. So he doesn't pretend life's going to be super easy. He doesn't puff them up with all this flowery nonsense that life is never going to be hard. No, he's like, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be suffering, and you got to be ready. you got to be ready to rely on Christ and, and, and seek his strength, otherwise you're not going to make it. Expectations are massive. We've been saying in this church for years, okay? We must align our expectations with what the Bible actually teaches. There's a form of Western Christianity which is false, which teaches us that life in Christ is easy. And you're happy, happy all the time. And you're always healthy. And and some false teachers say, and he's going to load your bank account. Says who? Not God. And not the Bible. It's false teaching. The Bible actually teaches the way is narrow and hard. It's going to be difficult. The Bible teaches people will hate us because we love Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches we won't be popular. The Bible teaches us now we mourn. In eternity, we laugh and rejoice. The Bible teaches us hardship and difficulty. The reality of expectations in the Bible, we need to know so that when it happens, we're not surprised. But if you're not taught the truth in the Bible, you will be surprised when difficulty comes because you're not ready. James understands this, and he's like, I want to make you ready. I want to remind us of our context, our immediate context in James 5. Poor believers in Christ were being exploited by rich tyrants. They were being defrauded, they were being abused, and in some cases, they were being murdered. It's this context that James says, i got to give you essential wisdom, again, to the church within your difficulty. He encourages them, he exhorts them, and I love this too, he once again reminds them of their eschatology. Right? Some of you are here right now, we went through this last week, and what's eschatology? It's really the study of end times, it's last things. 
What you believe about the return of Christ will impact your life here and now. That's what he's saying. He's like, you know how this is going to end. You know Christ is coming, so therefore let it impact your here and now. Let it impact your present. What he also encourages the believers with, and we just kind of said this in some ways, is this. Ready? If you're a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, here's what you got to know. Suffering is 100% guaranteed for the Christian life. Sorry to break to you the bad news, but, but in reality, we learn today it's actually good news because God does his greatest work within our hardest times. Because God becomes so real, we become more like Jesus Christ. We are changed and conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ in our weakness and our suffering and our hardship and our difficulty. In fact, you take a genuine Christian without suffering and there's no, there's, there's no way they make it. That's what the Bible teaches us. No suffering, no character, no character, no steadfastness, no steadfastness, no chance. No chance. And James is reminding them of these things again. If you're truly going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, again, align your expectations with the Bible actually teaches. And again, what's he doing? He's, he's like, again, you need wisdom, and the wisdom prepares us, and it prepares us to maximize, to get the most out of the suffering that we encounter in life. That's what's happening right now. Wisdom is so valuable because we're not caught off guard then. We're ready. We're strengthened. And we get to maximize the difficulty that's presented to us, again, by the Lord. So much of life is about expectations, isn't it? I mean, I think about that. Expectations and marriage. Those are things, when I get married, young people, listen up, listen up, listen up. When I get married, everything's going to be amazing and perfect and nothing bad's going to happen again. If that's your expectation, you're done. It's over right now. How will we go through life? Expectations for raising kids. Oh, man, I'm going to be the best parent ever. It's just going to be no problem. They're going to go, yes, Dad, every time they wake up and just, he just serve in every capacity. If that's your expectation, you're done. You're done. You're dead. You won't make it. Expectations for the workforce. Oh, the best bosses ever. In fact, I will be the best boss ever, and everything will always go perfectly as I want to. And you get in there, and you're smacked upside the head, and you're lying on the canvas, knocked unconscious, and you're like, no, your expectations were wrong. That's not life. Expectations to follow Christ, as we said, it's going to be so good, man. He's just going to make my life so easy. Everyone's going to love me all the time. I'm like, no, you're dead. You're dead. It's not going to work that way. That is not how it goes this side of heaven. It's actually quite the opposite. Again, we went through it already. Difficulty is promised. So much of life is about expectations. And it bugs me, okay? It bugs me the amount of teachers in our day that are teaching false expectations related to Jesus Christ. Just preach the Bible, would you? I don't want to hear what you have to say. Just preach the Bible. Tell me what God says. Because whatever God says, that's what gives me life. And that's what allows me to make it and endure and persevere. So much of the New Testament is on that exact theme. Get ready, difficult, but it's going to be awesome in the end. Jesus Christ is worth it. Let's hear James's expectations for his audience in James 5, verse 7, be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. What a great verse, man. That's awesome. Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, that you may not be judged Listen to this. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. It's like every verse here has something to do with the Lord's return. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. 
Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. Man, steadfastness is such a beautiful virtue. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. All right. Let's get started. Uh, Principle number one, when it comes to wisdom within our suffering, just going through verse by verse, it's this, be patient, the Lord is at hand. If you and I have wisdom within the realities and difficulties in life, be patient, why the Lord is at hand. Again, verse seven, be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. Okay, now, I love how much education is found within our eschatology. Think about what I just said. I love how much education that we find in the Lord from our eschatology about the return of Jesus Christ. Again, uh, twice in these verses, the Lord is coming. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand, right? So therefore, because the Lord is going to return, Jesus Christ is going to return, we must be patient. We know he, we, we long for his return. It's, it's interesting how the Bible teaches that, actually. The Bible teaches us we are to long for his appearing, even 2 Peter 3 for me this morning in my Bible reading plan, uh, waiting for and hastening the coming of the Lord. We are to long for his return. We are to be patient for his return. Both can happen at the same time. Longing, come, Aaron, then for the come, Lord Jesus. But also at the same time, patient as we wait again for the Lord's timing and his return, but the readiness that we are to have as we do so. Four times in four verses, James mentions one word. You see it there? It should be obvious. It's the word patience. Four times in four verses. Two of those times, it's a direct command to be patient. You also be patient. So evidently, his audience was struggling with patience. I think we can appreciate that. We know they were crying out for justice. We know that they were suffering under the evil of the world. We know that the cultural tide was coming against them as believers in Christ. We know they were tempted with weariness and yet James filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom he by the way he calls them brothers and sisters here three times that's a a term of intimacy he loves them he cares for them he so much wants them to believe and see and be ready and persevere three times and then he says for them to be patient patience here biblically speaking is not only to wait it's to wait with perseverance you have to think about that church there's a mindset there's a steadfastness there's a uh, remaining under. I'm waiting, but I'm ready to persevere. We'll get to more of that in a second. He appeals to them by way of illustration, if you notice, in verses 7 and 8. He utilizes an illustration that many of them would resonate powerfully with. Look at verse 7. He says, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. Okay, so as a farmer plants a seed, but think, but then the farmer has no ability to make the crop grow, especially in the first century. You plant the seed, and the farmer works hard, does everything he or she can around that seed being planted and weeding and prepared, whatever it might be. But at the end of the day, the farmer has to wait. In the Mediterranean climate, the early rains came in, for our calendar, October, November, and the late rains came in March, April. Yeah, the farmer would work very hard in between these times, but in reality, in the end, he had to wait, as the text says, for the precious fruit to grow. 
for the harvest to come. There's, there's, there's nothing else they could do. And James's application is clear. Look at verse 8. Verse 8. You also, in this regard, be patient. You also be patient. Isn't it interesting that how much of the Christian life is waiting? Hey, are you good at waiting? I'm not so good at waiting sometimes. I think we're fairly impatient in society, you agree? I think we want whatever we want as soon as we want, exactly when we decide right now, instant demand, instant everything. We're not really good at waiting. Well, you won't be really good at the Christian life if we're not good at waiting. A huge part of our calling in Christ is to wait. We feel like it, it, it takes so long, but eternity is going to be much longer. That we become impatient and we start demanding and we start to, you know, grow impatient towards the Lord. And yet, a huge part of our calling is patient. And notice verse 8, again, I, I love this. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So the Lord's going to return. Establish your hearts. I should meditate on that for a second. Establish your hearts. Get your hearts ready. Get your hearts stable. Get your hearts prepared in the mindset for the coming of the Lord. Don't be lazy. Don't be weak in this regard. Don't be flippant. Don't be apathetic. Don't be casual. Establish your hearts. Strengthen your hearts. Stand firm in your hearts. It's a mindset. It's a resolve. There is courage here. There's preparation with your heart because the coming of the Lord. There's a readiness. Think of a soldier preparing for war. They establish their hearts, their training, their mental training, their equipment, their readiness, their resolve to persevere in the midst of battle. You don't just walk in casually into war unprepared. No. Years and years of training to establish yourself for what's ahead. An athlete about to run a really big race. The training, the diet, the self-sacrifice, the mental, again, training that goes on before you run the race. You don't just casually step onto a track and then just run. You're not ready. You must establish yourself again and establish your hearts for what's ahead to run this race. As the Bible even uses that metaphor several times in the New Testament. Is your heart established? Because one of the great wisdoms within the reality of suffering in our lives is the Lord is coming. I establish my hearts. I am ready. So I used to be an athlete, okay? And part of my former, again, athletic being, I used to play a little bit of football. And I remember so much in football, there was this center of gravity the coaches always taught us. you got to get low. You get low right here. This is where the power comes up. And you can face someone much bigger than yourself if you're established at center of gravity. I remember a couple of times coming up under and just driving through a guy much bigger than me, and on the ground, standing over him. No, I won't go into that too much, whatever, but there I am. And you're low, and you hear you are the powers right here to establish yourself. You're ready for what's coming. That's what he's saying to James. He's saying to us, you got to be ready again for the difficulty, but when your mindset, your resolve, your readiness, and you're trained, you're going to make it in Jesus' name. That's the grace of what God brings to us, but the, but the believers are sitting around and laissez-faire, not even remotely aware of what's happening it's not going to go well. You're not prepared. You're not established. And it won't be good. See, it's interesting, eh? The outcome, we sang this many times today, we will again. The outcome's guaranteed. I mean, I'm not sure if you're new to church right now, but this just in. Uh, we win in Jesus. All right? So you got to make sure you know that. The Bible tells us he's going to return, and all those who belong to Jesus Christ by grace through faith, when you see Jesus Christ returning, you're like, I'm with him. 
and when you're with him, you win forever. Like there's no, there's no losing ever with Jesus Christ. So the outcome is guaranteed. The question is, are we ready? And the question is, have we established ourselves to persevere to the end that we might see him returning on the clouds and be like, wow, patience has paid off because the Lord is at hand. Number two, wisdom within suffering. Do not grumble the judges at the door. Do not grumble the judges at the door. Look at verse 9. It says that. Do not grumble. Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters. Why? So that you may not be judged. Listen to this. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Wow, again, James just always throwing it down, right? So what happens? What happens to us in times of difficulty and stress in our lives? What happens when frustration begins to mount on our lives and angst fills our hearts and anxiety starts to build in our lives when we come across difficulty and forms of hardship? What so often happens as the stress builds, the anger builds. As the anxiety builds, the irritability builds to people around us. As the angst builds, the blame builds to those around us. As the difficulty grows, then our desire to lash out on others also grows because that's one of the forms of stress. The flesh starts to win. Like, I mean, maybe even this morning you were dead set on being on time for church and the rest of the family was causing you to be late. And on the way to church, in the car, there were things said that you might need to ask forgiveness for after this. But the reason they were, you're stressed. Like, it's something small yet significant to you. Why are we coming to church on time? And you get irritable, and it bursts out. Uh, financial stress within a marriage, one of the leading causes of stress and worry. And what happens? Anger. Anger comes out because difficulties upon us and blame and accusation and grumbling. In a home, a prodigal child can be a massive form of stress. And if a husband and wife aren't very careful, then they start to go at each other because in difficulty and in stress and hardship, that's what the flesh is tempted to do is to lash out, to grumble, to complain, to accuse, and to blame. That's exactly what James is saying right here. In the midst of the difficulty, do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters. And notice his motivation. The reason is, is because the judge is standing at the door. Because the way that we judge others will be used to be judged against ourselves. I think a very powerful example of this was the season of COVID in the last several years. Think about it. Think about it. This is a strong parallel. Think of the difficulty the season of COVID caused within the church. Think of the bickering and the accusation and the blame it produced against one another. Why? The stress was so high. The grumbling against each other was really terrible. And the judgment passed from believer to believer was so grievous to the Holy Spirit. So much of that happened in a season of stress and anxiety and people turning on one another and tons of that happening in the church too. It was a terrible, terrible time. Hardest season of leadership I've ever been through and every other, every other pastor I've ever spoken to. 
That's a very strong parallel to what James is saying. In the midst of the adversity and the hardship and the difficulty, don't turn on one another. And again, the motivation is because you yourself will be judged according to the level of judgment you hold on other people. So be very careful with that. James and Jesus were half-brothers. They, they, they say a lot, or James really says a lot of what Jesus says. Matthew 7, verse 1, Jesus said this, Judge not that you, may, that you be not judged. Why? For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, will be measured to you. Very strong parallel to what we're seeing here in James 5, verse 9. James says, he's talking to believers, right? He's like, hey, be really careful how you judge others because the judge is coming and your criticism of all these other people and your blaming accusations, do you want that turned on you? That's a point of wisdom. Don't, don't let the difficulty turn into a blame game. It's a stern warning here. In the time that we live, we can't afford to turn on ourselves. Listen, listen, we, we must be people of grace. People of grace towards each other. Um, Resist the temptation to be a source of division. Resist the temptation to tear people. It's so easy to tear people down. It is so easy to judge others. That's what the flesh wants. That's what Satan wants. Especially in, in, in this setting. We all know of situations of churches that have been poisoned from within and are no longer even existing or barely standing. Because that's again what sin and Satan love to do. And here's what you have to know what the text is saying here. In such situations of such division, those people will be held to account at the return of Jesus Christ. That has not gone unnoticed. Those who have been used to sow such seeds of division and disunity, they will be held to account. The judge is standing at the door. Again, I just want to, I want to, with sober-mindedness, exhort us right now the judgment we place against others, the criticism, we sit back and criticize and blame and tear down people's characters and just accuse of all the, be very careful with that. Be very careful because the measure you use will be measured to you, to me, to us. And do we really want that? I think it's a wonderful application right now just to consider, listen, where can we stop grumbling against each other right now? Can we stop that? Who do you need to give grace to right now? So easy to judge and blame. Who, who can you give grace to in Jesus' name right now? Why? Why? Because the judge is standing at the door. Because in account of our judgment and our criticism, if the tables were turned, would we want that against us? This is the word of wisdom. See what difficulty, right? The difficulty, again, the season we've been through is a tremendous example. This is what happened. We need to be people of grace. Wisdom does that, especially within suffering. Number three, remain steadfast. Remain steadfast. Why? The Lord is merciful. Remain steadfast. Steadfastness is so good, man. Wow. So look at verse 10 here. Verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the name of of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. Yes, we do. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job 
and you have seen, notice, the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is a very powerful lesson James provides here in verses 10 and 11. He's like, hey, 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 remain steadfast. Learn from those who have gone before you. This is the power of biographies, again, in the Christian life. Why do we read Christian biographies? Christian biographies are just absolutely paramount. They're awesome. Why? We learn of suffering. We learn of courage. We learn of steadfastness. We learn of patience. We remind ourselves we're not alone in this journey. Satan wants to make you feel like you're the only person who's ever gone through this. You read a Christian biography, you're like, oh man, men and women for centuries have gone through what I'm going through, or maybe way worse, and they made it. They made it. They persevered. They were steadfast by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why it's hard for me to overstate the role of Christian biography in my life. It's hard for me to overstate the role of Christian biographies, especially biographies of difficulty, because it is a massive dose of encouragement to see the example of those who have gone before you. This is what James is doing now. He's like, brothers and sisters, remember the prophets. Remember those who spoke the name of the Lord, who suffered immensely, but they remained steadfastness or steadfast in the faithfulness of God. Notice also, notice in verse 10, notice the order of suffering and patience. You see that there? Look down there, notice suffering comes first, then patience. Suffering necessitates the building of character, which leads to patience and steadfastness. So just maybe make a note of this or make sure you see this again in the scriptures. No suffering, no patience. No suffering, no character. No suffering, no chance. Suffering necessitates the testing and the patience and the steadfastness and the character. And we learn from the example of those who have gone before us. Prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Daniel suffered greatly, but they proved the Lord faithful. And then James specifically mentions Job. Has anyone else in history suffered as much as Job in such a short period of time? Has anyone suffered as much as Job in such a short period of time? Notice the number one virtue ascribed to Job in these verses is steadfastness. Man, to be steadfast, to remain under the trial. A lack of steadfastness, if you remember, is when the trial comes, you're like, get me out, get me out, get me out. No pain, no difficulty, no hardship. I want out of this right away. Steadfastness remains under the trial and trusts the Lord for his timing and for his release. Steadfastness is massive because steadfastness is one of the greatest signs of maturity in Jesus Christ. Back in James chapter 1, we use this slide Maybe some of you have come to our church since then. That was January. I want to remind us of this. because This is a sequence which is so powerful in Scripture. I hope you'll be encouraged if those of us who remember this on some level. So we look at this sequence. This is James 1, 2-4. This is what he presents to the church. We see glory and we're like, yes, I want glory. Well, if you want glory, you got to be mature. Maturity leads to glory. Changing into to the Lord Jesus. Okay, good. I like maturity. I want maturity. If you want maturity, you want steadfastness. But see, steadfastness only comes through testing. The testing of our faith proves what's actually in us, what's actually inside of us. And you're like, okay, so then I'll take some testing. But see, testing only comes through trials. So this is under God's sovereignty why trials and suffering meets us 
because it's in trials that prove us and our testing and proving leads to steadfastness. Steadfastness leads to maturity and maturity prepares us for glory. There's no way to shortcut this. This is the way it goes. This is under God's sovereignty. This is when, and in James 1, count it all joy, this is when this does start to be seen as joy because joy because the trials ultimately lead all the way to glory. No trials, no chance. No suffering, no character. No character, no perseverance. No perseverance, no good. This is what James is saying. He's like, remember the prophets, Job and his steadfastness. And then I want you to also see in verse 11, the second half of verse 11, notice he says here, the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Okay, so the ESV, you have seen the purpose of the Lord. Look at these other translations. And how they translate that phrase, the purpose of the Lord, it kind of flushes it out for us. So the New Living says, you can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end. King James, and have seen the end of the Lord, the end result of the suffering. Christian standard, and have seen the outcome from the Lord. NIV. And have seen what the Lord finally brought about in the end. That the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Again, the ESV says, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord. What's the point here? I want you to notice what James is saying here is when you hang on, when you remain steadfast, when you persevere, you will find in the end the purposes of of the Lord, that a hundred percent the Lord has purpose in our suffering. Whether Isaiah, Daniel, Job, James, the first century church, or you or me or us. Listen, what we know here is God moves with purpose in trial. We probably don't see it, certainly not all of it right now. We don't, we can't see it. We don't get it. Faith spurs us on to remind of the people who have suffered and, and endured and, and made it. One of the famous verses in the New Testament, Romans 8, 28, again, notice the word purpose here. And we know that for those who love God, this isn't just a verse, you know, slap on every single thing to so feel better, but, it's, it, but the truth within is absolutely awesome. All things work together. For those who love God, all things work together for good in the end, in the end, according to his, what's this word here? Purpose, purpose. Okay, so, and James says that too, right? We have seen his purpose. The purposes of the Lord will stand. Remain steadfast. The, the Lord will be compassionate and merciful. In the end, loved ones, this, this is what we will see. In the end, the purpose of the Lord will be clear. It's a, it's a huge part of our eschatology. And it's a huge part of remaining steadfast. It's a huge part of not giving up. It's a huge part of enduring with patience and continuing with resolve, with faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, all over the New Testament. Because in the end, what's going to happen? In the end, for those, everyone here who's saved in Jesus Christ, who's genuinely born again, alive in Jesus Christ, in the end, this is going to happen in some form, in some way. You will meet Jesus Christ face to face. Listen, 
your eyes will meet the eyes of the Son of God, the Lamb of God, the Savior of the world, the eternal, again, second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ the Lord. Your eyes will meet His. This is a healthy thing to meditate on. Can you imagine locking eyes with your Savior, Jesus Christ? For all those who are truly saved in Jesus, this is going to be your eternity. This is going to happen. And He will take His nail-pierced, scarred hands and He will wipe away your tears and He will embrace you with an eternal embrace and you will melt in love. And in that moment, you will know it was worth it. Remain steadfast for the Lord is compassionate and merciful. James is pleading with the church in the midst of the difficulty, eyes on Christ, resolve to walk on the straight and narrow, trust in the Lord, don't give up, don't grow weary in doing good, continue to press forward yet another day, and the Lord himself will meet you there, and the Lord himself will gather you to himself for all of eternity. God help us. Amen, church? God help us. God help us. It's true. Wisdom within suffering. Be patient. Do not grumble. Remain steadfast. And fourthly and lastly, do not speak rashly. Make your words count. Make your words count in the midst of your suffering. So verse 12, we'll admit, verse 12 is kind of oddly placed. A lot of commentators are like, man, trying to figure out where it all fits here. But the Holy Spirit wrote this book, so we surrender to him. Look what he says in verse 12. But above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any under oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Okay? So oddly placed, and yet, I think this is what James is getting at here. In trying times, people are tempted to swear by something beyond themselves. This isn't swearing as in profanity. This is like swearing, like, I swear to God, or I swear on my mother's grave. Always thought that was an interesting phrase. Or as God is my witness, right? It's, I think he's saying here is like, people in difficult times, they kind of grasp for extreme measures. And so they start to say, no, trust me, trust me. I swear, I swear, I swear, I swear. And the more someone swears by someone other themselves, you're listening up, but you're really trying to convince me of something. You really seem suspicious in your credibility. That's what's happening here. Their words become so flippant and numerous that they become hollowed out of any kind of substance. He's like, don't do that, man. Make your words count. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Often, again, in times of difficulty, in our impatience, we go restless and we just start spewing words out of our mouths and we start saying really dumb things. He's like, don't do that. Speech is so important to James and so important to the Lord. Right? So he's like, make your words count. How? Truthfulness integrity with your speech, accuracy. That's, that's so key, eh? When we speak and we embellish and little lies creep in and we exaggerate and, and we start to tell, you know, half-truths which are non-truths. Like, don't do that. Don't do that. Stop swearing by this, that, and everything else. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. 
saw a lady yesterday just even about her response to showing up to a practice with her daughter. And I didn't think they were I saw her hair. She's like, I put my yes in. I mean yes. I'm like, that's good. I thought I'd let your yes be yes and no be no. I'm like, that, I like people like that. That's what James is saying. If I said I'm going to be there, I'm going to be there. In the times of hardship and frustration and, and difficulty, we are tempted to, again, be very unguarded with our tongues and our words. James doesn't want us to do that. Count your words carefully. The Bible tells us because our words will count in the end. Every word we speak will be remembered on some level. I mean, this is just really sobering stuff here before the Lord. So the wisdom within suffering, it's again another very powerful and potent text. It's just by way of recap, be patient because the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble. The judge is standing at the door. Remain steadfast. The Lord is merciful and compassionate and then this make your words count because notice at the very end of verse 12 there that you may not fall under condemnation right so there's there's another exhortation to the return of christ it's in every single point every verse really let me ask you this question right all this the lord is coming the lord is coming are you ready are you ready i wonder you know some are here today let me ask you this question okay if Jesus Christ came today, are you ready to meet him because you have trusted and placed your faith and salvation in his? Like, if Jesus Christ returned today, do you know that you know that you know that you're truly saved? Some of you are here today and you're like, I don't know that I know that I know. Some of you have been sitting in church for decades. Some of you have been sitting in church for years. Some of you have been sitting in church for weeks. Some of you, maybe it's minutes. Praise the Lord, so glad you're here. Do you know that you know that you know that Jesus Christ has set you free from your sins, not by what you've done, by what he's done by dying on the cross? I implore you all the time, do not wait another second. Today, right now, because the Bible's warning us, man, he's coming, and the moment he appears, it's over. No more grace. The moment he appears, the age of grace is now. When he returns, it's over. It's been 2,000 years. I read this morning in 2 Peter 3, count the patience of the Lord as salvation. The patience of the Lord in his return is salvation. Salvation today. Are you here right now? Is it your day to bow your knee to Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ, I believe in you. Jesus Christ, I confess that you are Lord. Jesus Christ, I ask for forgiveness of my sins. Jesus Christ, set me free. Make me alive. Jesus Christ, may I know your inheritance, become a child of God, never, never to be lost again. Jesus Christ, today's the day. He is coming. We've got to get ready. Let's just bow our heads. And let's just be a little bit still right now. I just, oh Lord, I just pray and just, just, um, just beg you that you would bring salvation to this place today, to hearts and lives. What would hold you back right now? What would hold you back, man, woman, child? Give your life to Jesus Christ today. He is real. He loves you. He loves you. He died for you. He rose from the dead that you may never die again. And one day soon he will return and that you may know that you are with the Lord Jesus Christ. Just to encourage you, church, to last, last service was a young man of a dear family in our church. He grew up in this church. He served well. He went off. He wandered away. He strayed. 
I could see his face, the hardness of his heart many years ago. I saw him today again. He came up to me and said he wanted to let me know that he has given his life to Jesus Christ. And I could see the light in his eyes and the joy in his heart. Nothing blesses me more to see a young man or young woman walking in the Lord Jesus Christ. He found his way. Jesus Christ opened his eyes. And he is saved. And you can tell. Is that you today? Is that you today? Surrender your life. Pray to him. Love him. Jesus Christ, I need you. Jesus Christ, I ask you to save me. Set me free from my sin, that I may walk in you. Yes, Lord, would you be doing that? You are working in this church. You are growing us in maturity and wisdom. You are preparing us for reality. And I pray now, Lord, we'd be able to sing with great joy for all the things we've talked about today. Another song reminding us of what will be what one day soon will be. We see you face to face. Encourage us greatly. May we remain steadfast in you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.